We're going to turn to the Bible now. We're going to read from God's Word. So if you've got a Bible, there should be some in the seats in front of you. Um, it's page 1010. And I'm going to read John chapter 6, verses 1 through to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the shore to the, the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he was performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray, shall we, if we come and look at God's word to us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you... Help us to open and apply this word to our lives today. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what this account reveals about him. And we just pray that you'll help us to have open hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Anyone watching the football last night? Any Wales fans? Yeah, some very cheerful Welsh people in this morning. Any England fans? Yeah, perhaps not quite so cheerful. What do you do when Russia scores in injury time? Cry. How do you feel if you're a player on the pitch when that happens? Well, if I was playing, well, England would have more problem if I was on the pitch. But if if I was playing for England at that moment, I would feel totally useless. I'd be thinking, actually, what can I do at this point? I cannot literally get another goal in the other net. Something that is before me is impossible. Something is impossible. Came across this article this week. Feeling useless at your job is painful, but ensures you never are. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if you you work today, whether you feel useless at your job. But what this article was saying was, it was saying, actually, industry, business, the public sector spends millions, if not billions of pounds across the world each year 
trying to make us feel good about ourselves, trying to make us feel marvelous. I wonder, do you feel marvelous this morning? Do you feel marvelous? Perhaps you do. Brilliant, if you do. But what this article says is actually, if you want to be good at your job, the reverse is sometimes the better thing. To actually feel like you're not that good. But feeling useless is not great, is it? It's not a great place to be, to feel useless. To feel that you've actually got nothing to offer or nothing to give. But sometimes it's a normal place to be. Now, I will ask for a show of hands here. Who's ever felt useless at something? All of us. All of us, practically. If you haven't, come and tell me why you're omnicompetent and <laughs> so I can learn from you. But we all feel from time to time like things are beyond us. We feel useless in the face of the situation. If you've been around over recent weeks, we've been looking um, and working our way through John's Gospel, through, um, and we're through to chapter 6, and we've seen Jesus speaking to all kinds of people who, in their own way, were probably feeling pretty useless. He spoke to a Samaritan woman by a well, a woman who'd had a history of relationships that had failed. He spoke to a religious teacher who should have known everything, yet hadn't got the basics of what relationship with God was all about. He's healed people whose bodies were in a mess. And then we come to this account. We come to this account. And we see Jesus feeding 5,000 people. It's a well-known story. If you've ever had a children's Bible, you will find it in every one of those. It's a story that gets told over and over again. So what has happened is Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee. He's crossed the sea, and the people are following him because Jesus has been performing miracles, and they want to see more. They want to see more of who this miracle worker, this Jesus, is. So verse 3 tells us he goes to the mountainside. He's probably gone somewhere around this area. This is the Golan Heights on the side of the Sea of Galilee. And he sits down with his disciples. Now we think, oh, that doesn't really mean anything, sitting down with his disciples. But to John's readers, when a rabbi, a teacher, sat down, it meant he was about to start teaching. He was about to start sharing something important. So here he is, gone away to get some peace, and he's sitting down with his disciples, ready to teach them. And then in verse 4, it says, it's Passover. This will become important as the passage unfolds, because Passover was a time when the Jews would celebrate how they came out of Egypt under um, the leadership and guidance of Moses, who was being guided by God. And it was a time when Jewish nationalism was sort of at fever pitch, when people were thinking, it'd be great if we were free from Roman rule. So all that is in the background of what's going on here. Now, Galilee itself, where this area is, where these mountains are, the whole way around the Sea of Galilee, is very different to, say, where Jesus had been teaching in Jerusalem. When Jesus was in Jerusalem, there were lots of clever people there, lots of rich people there, lots of religious people there, people who wanted answers to specific questions. Here in Galilee, it's mostly peasant farmers. It's people who were concerned about where the next meal was coming from. They weren't into the religious debates of Jerusalem. They were more into, where's my bread coming from? Will the lake yield its fish so I can have a meal this evening? So it's quite different, quite different to where it's been before. So as we look in at this passage this morning, I want us to look at four of the characters in this account. I want us first of all to look at Philip, then Andrew, then the boy, and then rather more characters all lumped together as the crowd. So Philip, are you a practical person? Some of us are. Some of us are probably a little bit more dreamy. But some of us see life very much in practical things. You know, the pragmatist. Life is full of problems that need solutions. As this account starts to unfold, we see 
that there is a problem. Verse 5, Jesus sees the crowd and asks Philip, where will we get bread for all these people? Now, John doesn't give us a lot of background here, so I'm going to go into Luke's Gospel and just read two verses from there, which gives us rather more background to the same event. So this is Luke's writing. He says, But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away, that they may go into surrounding villages and countrysides and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. So it's the end of the day. It's getting dark. What do you want at the end of the day if you're hungry? You want a meal. Especially if you sat miles from anywhere where there's nowhere to buy anything. But Jesus is doing really important work. He's teaching people about the kingdom of God. He's telling this crowd that God actually wants to come and rule and be um, king of their lives. And he's healing people. He's doing important work. But look how Philip responds. He's very practical. He sees a problem, and he looks for the practical solution. And he says, it would take six months of salary to feed all this lot. John says there are 5,000 men. Now, that does literally mean men. They wouldn't have counted the women and the children. So you're probably looking at a crowd of 12, 13, 14,000 people. Would you fancy trying to feed that number of people? I don't think your Sainsbury's local would get very far in terms of you know, resources to feed that number. You need an awful lot of money, you need a very big bakery, and you need an enormous trawler going through the Sea of Galilee to catch all those fish that people would need to eat. But what Philip does is he looks at this problem with human eyes, and he says, basically, there is no solution. There is no solution here. Philip looks at this situation, and all he sees is no money, no bread, no bakery, no fish, no solution. You may be here this morning, and you may be looking at life, actually, like a Philip. You may be looking at life a bit of a pragmatist way, you know, looking at everything as if it's practical. Because verse 7 suggests that all Philip sees is economics and food. That's all he's looking at. Yet here in front of him is Jesus. But at this stage, Jesus isn't entering into his thinking. I wonder if that's you today. You're looking at life. Life may be full of good stuff. It may be full of bad stuff. Yet Jesus is just not in your thinking. All you're seeing is exactly what there is. The practical stuff of life. You're looking at life as if it's practical problems that need practical solutions. And you're not looking at Jesus at all. Or you may have got stuck there. You may have got stuck now as being a Philip. Perhaps in the past you've encountered God working. You know, Philip had seen God work. He'd seen Jesus perform miracles. Yet here he is, not looking through the eyes of faith. You know, perhaps today you're at a bit of a low ebb in your faith, and actually you've got stuck as a Philip. You've got stuck as a Philip. The next person is Andrew. Andrew sees the same situation. He sees a massive crowd. He sees hungry people, but he comes across a boy with a small meal. It says five loaves. Actually, it's probably more like five scones or scones if you don't speak properly. <laughs> but five of these, whatever you call them, and two small fish, probably sardines. You can catch sardines in the Sea of Galilee. You can also buy them in Netto. It's a bit nearer. <laughs> but they're sardines. You know, sardines are this sort of size. That's the most likely fish because they were local. They're small fish and small bits of barley bread or scones or whatever it was. You know, and this, I've got this image in my mind when, when looking at this. It's a bit like, you know, supposing you were dealing with a forest fire. 
You've got 100 acres of forest on fire. And this little lad comes up with his water pistol and says, I can help. That's what we're seeing here. It's that kind of thing. What on earth is this small meal that will barely fill this boy up going to do for 12, 13, 14,000 people that are sat in front? With the Philip mentality, what Andrew does here is laughable. Totally laughable. It's just ridiculous. There wouldn't even be enough for a crumb each from this meal. You might have got a molecule if you were lucky. But what Andrew does is he sees in Jesus something special. He sees in Jesus, the one who is before him, somebody who may do something in this situation. But he still has doubts. You know, he's, he's, he's quite real about this. Verse 9, he says, how far will they go among so many? You know, you look at this little meal. I mean, if I was to have that meal here and said, I brought lunch for us all, you may be thinking, well, that's not going to be much fun, is it? Well, you multiply that to a huge crowd, and that's where we are here. But Andrew is a, a man at this point whose life is full of faith, and it's full of question marks. But he's daring to believe. He's daring to come to Jesus. You know, I wonder if you find yourself in that kind of situation today. Can you relate to, to Andrew in this story? You know, Andrew came into the world. Not Andrew came to it. Well, he did come into the world. But Jesus, more importantly, came into the world. We'll be singing a song a bit later on that, that describes the Christian faith. It talks about what, as church, we believe. It says that Jesus is the Son of God. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He came as God himself. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He died there for the sins of the world, for all the rubbish stuff that me and you do. He then rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven, and he will one day come again in glory. That is the Jesus who is stood in front of Andrew. That is the Jesus who Andrew starts to see. And this is the Jesus who says, follow me. Believe in me. Trust me. See who I am. See who I claim to be. Now look at your life this morning. I don't know where you're up to today. Do you believe that Jesus can change your life? Are you in an Andrew situation this morning? Will you dare to believe that Jesus can change your life? Philip couldn't see the possibilities, but Andrew can. He will look and he will see that actually in Jesus, there is somebody here who can bring salvation to him, but can change his present reality as well. What are you facing today? What is it in your life? Will you bring it to Jesus? Will you bring it to the Son of God? We then get a third character, the boy. We don't get to know anything about this boy. We don't know where he's from. We don't know who he is. We don't know how old he is. Just nothing, apart from the fact that he has this. A few bits of bread and a, few a couple of scrawny little fish. What he has to offer seems like nothing compared to the problem in front of him. He is like the boy with the water pistol and the forest fire. He's in that situation. You know, we can look at a world and we can see the world in desperate need of Jesus. We can see a world that needs to hear the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ has come to save people. It says in John 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. And we can look at our world and we can see so great a need, the spiritual need, but also the practical need. You know, we look around our world and we see people who need physical food. We see people who are starving. We see a world um, that is full of poverty. 
We look in our own town round here, and we see you, you may be part of this today. You know, a neighborhood in need, people feeling lonely or isolated or ill, people battling with mental illness, struggling with death. And it's easy to sit back and be a Philip and say, well, there are no solutions. It's easy to sit back and say, well, there is no hope in this. I don't have the resources to deal with this, and neither does anybody else. And actually, that is true. We don't. None of us have the resources to deal with the world's problems. We can't deal with all the rubbish that people do. But in front of the boy, there is one who can. In front of the boy is Jesus. And this boy is prepared to give his meager meal over to the service of the Son of God. Something else interesting here is that Jesus feeds this crowd through a miracle, yes. But it's through the boy's meal. That's the starting point. It's through what this boy brings that Jesus then multiplies it time and time and time again. The kingdom of God is like that. Jesus wants people like you and me who will say, here's my life, Lord. Use me. Use me for your purposes. Jesus says in Matthew 9, verse 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus is looking for people like me and like you who will let him be Lord of our lives and will follow him. Jesus tells us there is work to do. There is a gospel to be shared. There is good news to be shared. There are hungry to be fed. There are homeless who need places to live. Now we can read this and think, well, why doesn't Jesus just do it all? You know, why is there poverty in the world? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why doesn't Jesus just come and, and sort of sort it all out? You know, one of the greatest mysteries of the kingdom of God, and we see it in this passage, is that Jesus wants people like me and you to partner with him and to be involved in what he is doing. But we've got to come and we've got to say, here, Lord, I'm willing. I will follow you. Do you want to know this morning the plans and purposes that God has for your life? Do you want to know those things? Jesus had a plan for what this boy brought. It was next to nothing, but he used it. He probably felt useless, but Jesus multiplied it. He probably thought there was nothing in his hands that he had to bring, but Jesus used it for his purposes. I believe today that God is a God of miracles. God is a God who does things that we cannot understand. Sometimes they are obvious. This was pretty obvious. If you'd been at this feeding of the 5,000, you would have known a miracle had happened. But other times the miracles are those that we can't necessarily see with our own eyes. It may be that somebody has found faith in Jesus. They've known the joy of having all their past forgiven and the chance for a fresh start, the chance to live life Jesus' way. It may be that a life has been transformed that forgiveness is being given, that salvation is being given. We give it to Jesus, but it's Jesus who does the multiplication. It's Jesus who does the multiplication. William Booth um, was the founder of the Salvation Army, and he um, became a Christian at a young age, and through his whole life, he went around preaching the good news of Jesus and also helping practically those who were in, in sort of real need. And he said on his deathbed, God has had all there is of William Booth. God has had all there is. He didn't come with a lot. He was just one human being. Yet the Salvation Army today continues to do what he started. We see Jesus has done the multiplying. But he had to come and bring it. I don't know what your equivalent of loaves and fish is today. I'm hoping it isn't actually literal loaves and fish that you brought with you to church this morning. But you may have in your life things that you think, actually, I need to give this over to God. 
I need to give what it is that I have in my life over to him. If you do that, Jesus will bring the multiplication to it. Jesus will do that. But the other week, um, Stuart was here, and he was talking about, you know, there's a real danger when we come to Jesus, is that we come with a bit of a consumerist mindset, and that we can come, and we, we want the experiences of Jesus. We, we want the signs, the wonders. We want the great times of, of singing and worship together. But actually, do we want that bit where it says, God, let your kingdom come? Do we want to put ourselves in the position of this boy where we say, all I have, Jesus, I give to you. All I have, I give to you. We've then got the crowd. Crowds are interesting, aren't they? If you've ever found yourself in a, a big crowd of people. I always like to try and read crowds to find out what the mood is, find out what's going on. Um, if you saw any of the events over the weekend for the, the Queen's 90th, there were massive crowds in London. Yeah, I think there were pretty happy crowds. There, there were no issues there. Yet yeah, crowds, the moods can change, can't they? The moods can change quickly. We saw this at the football last night. Violence breaking out. Crowds can be stirred up by emotions. Verse 12, the crowds have finished eating. And the leftovers are collected. Twelve baskets. All this food. Jesus has multiplied this meal so much that what is left over was more than what the boy brought. I just think that is amazing. It just shows what Jesus can do when we bring ourselves to him. Nothing was wasted. Yeah, for a Jew to waste food was not a thing that was acceptable. Yeah, perhaps there's something for us to learn there. I'm not going to go down that line this morning. But perhaps there is something for our throwaway society that we could take just from that verse. But what it shows to me is God is a God of abundance. You know, when God blesses, he just keeps blessing and blessing and blessing. When we give to God, even if we think we're bringing rubbish to him, he will still use that. And he will use it in an incredible way. But then the crowd, as crowds often do, they get the wrong end of the stick. They've seen the signs. It's Passover, remember. They've seen somebody who's clearly been sent by God, and they think, oh, we want to make this man our king. He will be the person who can chuck out the Romans. And there's a lot of people. Remember, there's thousands of people here. They could have formed an army. Jesus won't have any of it. The kingdom of God is not about that. It's not about things to do with force. It never is and never will be. But it's to do with God's rule, God's reign, God becoming Lord of our lives. So what does Jesus do? Well, he just withdraws. He won't have any of that. He won't be part of their political schemes. I wonder whether you feel like you're part of the crowd today. Actually, you're quite happy to think about Jesus, but you want Jesus to fit into your agenda, not the other way around. And you see, world in, see the world in that kind of way. You know, I'm quite happy to have something to do with Jesus. But as long as it means that it's more to do with me, actually, than to do with him. We want all that stuff, but it has to be to do with me. Are you part of the crowd today? Or perhaps it is one of these other people. Perhaps you resonate with Philip. If you're a Philip this morning, if you think, actually, the world is just practical, you're a pragmatist, you see the world in that kind of way, in a few moments we're going to be baptizing Sam and then Dylan. You know, listen to their stories. Here are two young men who God has changed who God has worked in their lives. Listen to their stories. See what God has done. And can I encourage you to, to look beyond being a Philip? Or perhaps today you're an Andrew. You know, life is full of belief, but it's also full of doubt. And you're not quite sure whether to take the steps of faith in, in really sort of following Jesus. If that's you today, can I encourage you 
Put your hand in the hand of Jesus and let him lead you. Drop that fear and just let him lead you. Or perhaps you're like the boy. You're concerned that actually you're useless. There is nothing you have to bring to Jesus. Actually, that is not a bad place to be. This boy didn't have much, but he knew that Jesus was the one who did the multiplying. You know, you may feel like that this morning, but Jesus says, I love you. You are worth everything to me. I died for you. If you come and follow me, I will bless you. You will find eternal life. Things will be very different. Yeah, we sung at the beginning of the service about amazing grace. This is an account of amazing grace, of unlooked-for blessing. But Jesus longs to do that to each of us, if we'll come to him, to be used by him, and to be a blessing to other people. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we probably all are here today in different stages. Some of us may be Philip, some of us may be part of the crowd, some of us may be like the boy. But Lord, I want to pray that we will encounter you today. I want to pray that even now as we come and sing and come and witness the, the baptisms in a few moments, that you will just be um, stirring our hearts, melting our hearts, so that we can hear and respond to you today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.